probably know, in fact, I'm sure you know, that uh, Tony La Russa has the third most managerial wins in baseball history. Like, it's really? Connie Mack, John McGraw, and then him. And the question I put to you, Jim Flanagan, can you think of one game that Tony La Russa has ever enjoyed managing? <laughs> no. No, I cannot. I thought you were going to ask me where he is on the all-time MLB manager DUI list is really where I thought we were going to, <laughs> and we're going to go climbing. <laughs> He's not done yet. Um, no, um, I must admit, you know, I, I, obviously his resume is impeccable, what was impeccable, you know, uh, up until uh, he left the managerial ranks. Um, so that part was certainly always intriguing until we got the latest news, you know, even as someone who wasn't a fan of this, um, and I think it's a terrible culture fit. Um, there's a part of you that wanted to believe and think that maybe if he if he if he had changed, if he had learned a little bit, you know, and, and was able to work with these young players, that maybe maybe he could learn a little bit about himself at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> You're hoping for the Rocky Four ending. I can change. You can change. We can all change. That's the one. And then the other night happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. Oh, we'll we can't that. change. Really? Not at all. No. It, it, it's such a weird, like, to even think that this is even close to a match for me because, and it's been talked about ad nauseum in the city, as we know, but the, the one of the most fun, exciting young teams in baseball with a manager who has not had fun for a second of his career. Like, have you ever seen his Hall of Fame speech from, I think it was 2014? No, but I, I, could, I, I know why I didn't watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's worth checking out like just a minute of it because it's so bizarre. It's the only time I've ever seen anyone in baseball going and enjoying the highest honor of their career. And about 30 seconds in, you're watching it going, I think he's pissed off to be here. <laughs> like, he sounds legitimately mad that they're making him do this. Sure, I believe that. Yeah, like I remember going to St. Louis for a gig at maybe three or four years ago, talking to a St. Louis comic who mentioned that La Russa had stopped by the funny bone there one night. And my res response was Tony La Russa laughs. <laughs> That's a thing. What, what do they say? Were they like, no, no, he does I, not. He should. He, I, I think he said, actually, you'd be surprised. Like he, he kind of got everything, which just blew me away that yeah, Tony La Russa would ever enjoy jokes. It, it's just such a, I mean, even taking age and very problematic racial views aside mm -hmm. just the personality clash seems to me like it's just such a bad recipe you know absolutely i mean and that started immediately right the moment that they even like mentioned the interest you know yeah. you started seeing backlash not only from fans which frustrates me to no end that they didn't decide to do anything about it right away um that they didn't they didn't backtrack immediately they still went forward with it but also like free agents i mean you know marcus stroman came out and like sent something a couple days ago but even before that when before lurus was even hired he was liking tweets about the fact that free agents like marcus stroman would never go to the white Sox if they make a move like this you know you're, you're getting signaled from players and from fans and it sounds like from other people in your front office that this is a bad idea yeah, and, um, and free agents crazy. Free agents turning your team down because of the manager at a time where you're at the precipice of really taking control of that division and looking for the move that puts you over the top is it's so counterproductive. It it, it yeah everything about it just makes you want to scream. 
That's the big thing. I mean, you're right. I mean, and everyone's been talking about, hey, like as a White Sox fan right now, you're at the point where you start making your fantasy, you know, your, your lineup of, man, if we could sign these three agents, these three free agents in the offseason, now look at what our lineup looks like and look at it as our pitching staff. And then they go out and make this splash of La Russa and you're like, okay, cool. So a lot more Adam Engel in the outfield is what you're telling me. <laughs> uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to see a lot more of these people that we didn't expect to see anymore. And uh, it's a big frustration because you gave the keys to Rick Hahn for a reason, right? And all he's done is engineered a turnaround expediently. I mean, when you look at it, it was three years basically before, and I know it was a shortened season, but before they became a contender with a lot of pieces in place. What the Cubs did took longer than that, and the Cubs were incredibly smart to get duplicity. They had like two people at every position at one point, right? <laughs> that was their thing. They want to have you know two in case one of them fails. Yep. The Sox were like, we're just going to hit on one at every position, and mm -hmm. they pretty much did. I mean, when you look at what they've done, they at least have a really intriguing major league level prospect at every position. And whether or not they turn out, no one ever knows. You don't know three years into someone's career. You know, Jeff Francoeur was rookie of the year. And then, you know what I mean? Like barely, it, it took him a while to, to, to really cement himself after that. He was in and out of the majors. But to have that level of success and then go, great job. Now it's time to pick a manager. I got this. <laughs> what? Why would you do that? Like you, you give them the keys to do everything else. And then just you go back to Jerry being Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a... I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf, the psychology of that man, it, it, it's, there, there's a book to be written there about, like, why now he decides that, okay, I'm going to be the interfering owner and put my personal view or personal wishes ahead of those of the team and the fan base. Like, why you, you could have done this, like, three or four years ago. Hell, you could have made fucking Hawk Harrelson the man <laughs> right. you wanted. Bring him back. Yeah. Him. I mean, we know you love him. Uh, and that nobody right. would have minded during the rebuild, but, but now I like, and I, I hate to compare the Sox rebuild to the Cubs because it's so goddamn cliche in the city, but I mean, that's what I know. That's what we know. Right. Exactly. And this, this is the time like comparatively where, uh, when the Cubs knew they were ready for that next step, they went out the previous off season, signed John Lester. And that was the moment where you realized, okay, they know it's on like, yeah. That was, I, I messaged uh, Kevin and Adam, uh, two of my best Cub fan friends and friends of the pod, that morning, the only thing I said to him was, this is better than Christmas. And yeah, I believe well, we all knew what we were talking about. And you deserve a better than Christmas moment. Yeah. And you're getting like fucking Arbor Day. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, we are. This is absolutely Arbor Day. Um, but also, we just learned that because we got this tree that no other trees are going <laughs> to, we're not getting any more trees. This is one we don't like. <laughs> this tree is too racist for any other tree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's such a frustration. And, and you look at the history too. This isn't the first time. And this isn't even the first sport. Did you watch The Last Dance? I did, yes. Okay. I was talking to a friend the other day um, who brought up a great point in that, like, even in the last dance where uh, they asked Jerry about the, the Krause-Jordan situation, you know, Jerry really took it off of himself and kind of, well, I trusted my guy. Jerry Reinsdorf has been so loyal to people. And sometimes it's cool to see him bring back Harold Baines 11 times. And it's cool <laughs> to see him, you know, bring back, you know, he's had two Alomars 27 times on that roster. It felt like. <laughs> And never for a full season either. It was always <laughs> just a couple months here. And there. 
I, I think um, he's got it this time, really. He's <laughs> exactly. Um, but I mean, you know, this is a hallmark of what Jerry's always done, and that's the hardest part to to understand here is that you've got. And I know Cub fans have had conflicted, you know, feelings over the last couple of years as well. But it's like you've got this young upstart team that's ready to do something, and you're like, ah, I don't like. I, I'm, management's not only bad; they're showing us how bad they are. It's like the, it's like Scrooge, like reminding you, you know, <laughs> that like I'm the old guy in the office puffing a cigar, you know, lighting it with a hundred dollar bill the whole time because I can. Yeah. And bringing in my my friends. I mean, if anything, right now the political the, the political world has showed us that we're really not thrilled about white dudes in their seventies. Like you know, there's been a lot of, of 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 conflict either way on that. And Jerry's like, I'll one up you. Like I'll yeah. like I'll I'm gonna have them run a baseball team, even though they haven't done it in a long time. It's uh it's crazy. Yeah, you were right about it. it is such a damn 2020 move, you know that. It is one super powerful, rich white man in his 80s who has been used to having his way since he bought the team in, what, 80, 81, something like that? Yeah. And at some point, it doesn't matter what the giant majority of everybody else, and especially the people who actually know what they're doing, want. The guy with the money has the power. He has the final say, and he's going to exercise it. And he, Of course. Yeah, we'll do the show open and then we'll jump right back into this rant. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 51, the Ichiro Suzuki episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Baseball Prospectus, Outsports, and stand-up comedian who is occasionally off-pause, which is kind of fun. The other voice you were hearing on the other end of this episode is a Chicago comedy pal from way back in the day, co-host of the all over the place and what do we know podcast jim flanagan joining me thank you for being here sir ken i couldn't be happier to be here with you the the one of my favorite things about this by the way before we get too far into it is the timing that you asked me to do this podcast <laughs> loved it right like like um I, it was the other night whatever night the news broke about la Russa, but two hours before it happened yes i'm out for a walk and you're like let's talk about you know uh, uh some things white Sox related including the new managerial hire and i was like perfect we'll discuss it i'll, I'll voice my frustrations but then i'm gonna try and share some optimism <laughs> <laughs> and then about two hours later my phone started blowing up and <laughs> you know just certain group texts that before you even read it you know it's like oh something Sox related happened like yeah. if it's this yeah. group text, it sent 27 messages, you know? Oh God. Um, <laughs> and it just started unraveling, you know, you just start seeing it in real time, everyone's disappointment and frustration um, about the news. And then, um, yeah, but it was the timing of it all. I thought we were just gonna have a normal conversation about, you know, about the White Sox new manager and, and possible new MVP. And then uh, good old Tony turns it up a notch, you know? <laughs> As he is wont to do. Yes, the Hall of Famer <laughs> baseball person. <laughs> What a great! Like, he, he was prouder to call himself a Hall of Famer when he's being arrested for DUI than he was going into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> like, like, so yeah, that that same night, like, uh, I, I'd asked you that Monday because I mean, my first episode of the off season, and the White Sox are one of two teams to be making news at this point in the off season. So I figured, yeah, perfect time to talk to Jim about it. You know, Tony La Russa, uh, Abreu might be winning the MVP, and we do have good news at the end of the episode. Spoiler alert! So. <laughs> sit, sit tight uh and i figured yeah okay that's fine and solid talk with that 
And then I had gone out to get frozen custard in the local place. And you had messaged me just a, a vague message about, yeah, so we got something to talk about. Uh, <laughs> and at the time, I thought, holy shit, has there been a coup? <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Twitter and they're like, oh, okay, just a DUI. I can deal with that. <laughs> uh, Tony being Tony. <laughs> yeah. So there are, uh, so, yeah, so before we dig back into the psychology of Reinsdorf, let me just ask you, what were your thoughts, What even before they announced it, when you first heard the name Tony La Russa dropped as the potential White Sox manager? Yeah, so we, we, me and my Sox fan friends, like, did a really good job convincing ourselves that, sure, this is what Jerry wants, but it's never going to happen, right? This is Rick Hahn's team. Jerry's not going to overstep his GM and not let him make the hire, um, you know? And we're just like, this is just noise. This is just him you know, helping an old friend out, uh, getting his name back in the news, making him relevant again. Um, and there's no way it'll happen. And that just never went away. And then the, the noise never went away. And every day, just like checking Twitter and you're talking to people and uh, you're just like, this isn't going to happen, right? Like you're convincing <laughs> yourself. Like I thought it was to make me okay getting AJ Hinch. Mm -hmm. I really did. I thought that this was the move that's like, just kidding. We're just taking a cheater. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <God." laughs> <laughs> like you know yeah. they're taking they're they're giving me such a bad option that the one that i'm not i think is a much better choice obviously aj hinch would be a much better choice but you know not the option that we're going to be excited about but it's like anything but that you know um and no i mean much to my surprise your surprise rick Hahn's surprise i would imagine that uh that this just kept going and then um, I think the final straw was when Dan Rowan break, broke the news mm -hmm. that like the White Sox are going to have a press conference tomorrow and it is who you think it is, you know? And so I start getting texts with that going, this can't be real, can it? And it's like, well, if it's going to be broken that Tony LaRusse is coming back, Dan Rowan's breaking that news. Like, this is, <laughs> the sports this is such a back about as far as LaRusse. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. This is such a, an eighties connection, you know, that, uh, that this could happen. And then, but still up until the moment it actually happened, I was surprised. Honestly, if you're going to go like that old school and that specifically Chicago, like why not bring back Kevin Matthews to, to pull out the Jim <laughs> Shorts character again and, and announce it for everybody. Holy shit. Like none of my listeners are going to get that unless you were like our age and specifically raised in the city, but yeah. It's perfect though. Yeah. I'll give you another one that only eight listeners will get who have that very specific time frame. Um, a buddy of ours, uh, Pat, tweeted, um, if they do hire Tony LaRusso, they're making the announcement on George Michael's sports machine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Geez. Or uh, to, to from that same era, the Saturday Night Live sketch, the George F. Will sports machine. <laughs> One of Tony LaRusso's buddies from way back in the day. And good God, can you think of a more insufferable <laughs> conversation than George Will and Tony LaRusso? <laughs> and Tony LaRusso. I can wow. Uh, so, yeah, to dig into Reinsdorf a little bit more, there, a certain part of me understands a little bit of where he's at right now. Kind of, you know, a man in his 80s who has kind of gotten everything at this point. You know, he's got his World Series, his six NBA titles, and he's looking back. And he's kind of considering the regrets of his life, you know, and everybody in Chicago knows that this is a move to rectify one of those from when La Russa was fired in 1986, I think it was by the White Sox. Right. But when your regrets are 30 years old at this point, at 
you got to let it go, you know, like at a certain point, don't you just have to think, okay, you know, that's, that's the past. Sure. I mean, I would think so. Right. Um, uh, You would think so. But when you're Jerry Reinsdorf, who again, incredibly loyal to a fault, um, he just sits up in that office every day and thinks about things like this, which is insane to me. Um, The fact that the fact that this could just be, something that through everything everyone was saying to him, it was just so important to him to make this right. It was so important to him to do this for someone. It's not like he's helping out a friend who's down on his luck either. I mean, let's be honest. This is not like, Hey, after we fired him, that guy's career went to shit, Yeah, you know, and, and we're making right something that went really bad for this guy. This guy has been continued to have maybe handed role after role. Um, because he was a great baseball mind for sure. But when you're letting Rick Renteria go, and one of the main reasons is that he doesn't treat analytics correctly. He, he's not, you know, he's not that type of person and, and he's not managing that way um, to bring someone in who's considerably older, who, <laughs> you know, analytics is way down on the, the list of things that Tony La Russa doesn't like that, that are <laughs> unacceptable in 2020. It's not even top five in, in, his, in his resume. Yeah. You and, know, like, it, it, nothing makes sense about it except for blind loyalty. Yeah. And, and at certain points, blind loyalty, when you're trying to run a modern day sports franchise, you've got to realize I need to check myself right now because th- there is nothing good that can come out of this. Like, so to, to your point about, you know, analytics being far down the list of things that are problematic about LaRusso, I mean, He's repeatedly, and up until his press conference with the White Sox, where he walked back the smallest portion of it, criticized Black Lives Matter and Colin Kaepernick uh, as disrespecting the flag, pulling out that delightful trope. And now this is a man who is going to be managing Tim Anderson and who's going to be managing Lucas Giolito. And to, to my knowledge, has still not reached out to anybody to talk about how they're going to coexist. And, you know... As a fan, like, how, how do you respond to that? That's the hardest part of um, we're in a society where I think it's very good that you can't hide some of these things and we, the light is shown on so much more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard to balance your fandom with that because, you know, you, you hate this decision by management. You, you, you don't like this for Tim Anderson. You don't like this for Lucas Leader. I don't like this for my friends who work in the ticket office. I don't like this for my friends who work the concessions. Like, um you know that, that it's, it's how do you it, it, sometimes it, it can't be easy to manage your fandom versus what you know is going on behind the scenes and and there's you mentioned specifically tim anderson and lucas giolito and those are two guys who are so outspoken um about issues and and, and really leaders of this team and they're leaders in their community they're leaders in the clubhouse and they're very forward-thinking and I think they're also um, bright young men who would be willing to have a conversation with someone and listen. But if he hasn't reached out to any of them, that's even more troubling because I mean, you know, you hear like from coaches who did not just get a DUI and have a history of racist statements <laughs> being like first day he reached out, called me, we started talking strategy and getting to know each other and just, you know, and to have all of that in your past and, and not your distant past, your, very, very recent past it is even more troubling that you don't want to distance yourself from that with the people that you're going to be managing every day. And this isn't football. This isn't 16 games. And I know football is still a long season, but I mean, you are 
you are together for incredible chunks of time for half of the year. And that's a very unique thing about baseball. You know, that this is, this is a relationship that you absolutely have to have. Yeah, that uh, so many guys talk about that you spend more time with your teammates and your coaches than you do with your family for the six, or mm-hmm. six months, actually more than six months counting spring training out of the year. And to your point, too, about uh, what this means about him not reaching out to them, Tim Anderson, Gilito, and every player in the White Sox is now coming off of the most bizarre season of their lives where you had to deal with a raging pandemic all around you. So it's already not a comfortable situation. Now you're going into an off-season of uncertainty where you also don't know what the new season is going to look like, how it's going to feel, and really how you're going to survive with the pandemic exploding in every major city in this country right now. On top of all of that, now you don't know what your relationship is going to be like with this 76-year-old, kind of racist, kind of drunk, just bizarre human being who has now been given the keys to the kingdom and you know is the owner's favorite person in the game. So that is a lot mentally to have on your mind and it's going to be on your mind for several months at a time until you show up to spring training and, and then kind of just take the plunge. And that's, that's a lot. It's absolutely a lot. I think there's even, I mean, just a couple of things that I've thought about over time is that like, also the only person that anyone's talking about right now, after the most exciting season we've had in 15 years is the one guy who wasn't part of it. You know what I mean? You just had this incredible run and I know we fizzled out at the end, but I mean, there was a time where, you know, for the first time we were getting national media attention as like, Hey, this team can is in every game. They are exciting. They are fun to watch. And when they are on, they're tearing the cover off of baseball in clips that were unseen, you know, and, and this is, this is the juggernaut that you need to be talking about. And they were getting some attention. And this team has swagger. This team, you know, Tim Anderson's bat flips aren't the only thing about this team that are exciting. I mean, this entire team wants to be that. They want to be the story. And they're not. The the person who wasn't there is the story. And that's a huge frustration as well. I mean, I just think on so many levels, you know, and if I'm in my mid eighties and, and I'm, and like you said, I'm sitting in my, in my throne and thinking of all my regrets. I I totally understand that. And, and I may not be looking at a, a 35 year old coach or something, but at some point you've got to see that you are so far removed from this, that you have to stop making these decisions. Mm -hmm. This isn't good for Tony to get this dragged through the mud. I mean, this isn't good for him either. What you're not, you know, but now you're so deep into it. What do you do? Yeah. Are you, you can't distance yourself. And, and now they're coming out and saying that they're waiting to, you know, everyone deserves due process. Well, I completely <laughs> agree with that. I completely understand that, that it's part of the law, but that should not stop you from, from denouncing what's happened and distancing, your, distancing yourself from someone. I mean, he does fine. People deserve due process. He, that doesn't mean he gets to, he deserves to manage an MLB baseball team. Right. Yeah. Due That's process the under the law. This is baseball. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. And he, <laughs> People who get pulled over, I would say 99.999% of them do not manage baseball teams and do not Absolutely. get managing a baseball team after, after getting a DUI, let alone two now. Uh, and it, yeah, it's, it's not fair to so many people. It's not fair to you guys as fans. It's certainly not fair to the players. 
And it's all, as you say, it's one guy who has decided, this is my decision. I'm rich and I'm insulated by my money. And now if, if I went back on it, I would be admitting that I was wrong and I can't do that. And gosh, there certainly are no real world parallels for this, are there? <laughs> I can't think of any. Yeah. Can I uh, really, no, I, um, I fully agree with you on that. And it is a frustration and it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to criticize an organization that, that has been good to you and, 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 you know, to, to have to take that stance on it, to, 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 to kind of put the ownership versus the players in your mind and really treat them differently. And, and it just, it changes the way you root for a team, you know, it kind of takes you out of that in the moment experience and just keeps it on the back of your mind that I want to root for them, but I don't want to root for them. Yeah. And it's hard to do part of it without all of it. Yeah. Uh, and one more thing uh, about this, and then we will jump on to the much happier news because at this point wait. we need it. But uh, <laughs> the, the other thing that occurred to me, even before uh, the DUI news of this week, that another way that I just didn't like how this might be changing things is that having long experience watching the Cubs play a Tony La Russa managed Cardinal team for a decade and a half, the one thing that stood, stood out to me above all else, the characteristics of his team, is that any time that you hit one of his batters, regardless of intent, regardless of whether it was an accident or just a pitch that clearly got away, you were going to get drilled. Like that mm -hmm. was, you, know, you, you just knew that they were coming at you and it, it would be retaliation regardless of whether or not it was on purpose to begin with. And Tony La Russa, if he, I assume he's going to be bringing this mentality, this old school 80s baseball mentality with him to the White Sox, is going to be attempting to turn, again, possibly the most fun team in baseball into yeah. the Kansas City Royals who threw at him <laughs> in the first place. And that's again, exactly not something you deserve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is that you are, from a purely baseball perspective, if we took everything else out of the equation, this is a terrible mix. If he would, if Tony La Russa only drank sparkling water and loved everybody the same and and had the best hall of fame speech ever you know but still managed the way he managed this would still be a bad idea yeah. but we'd be having a much different conversation like, <laughs> this is gonna suck but kind of be fun you know like, <laughs> yeah at least um, you got a, a likable legend as opposed to you know this this guy uh but yeah let's move on now to somebody who is affiliated with the team and was on the team last year and is the goddamn MVP of the American League. Oh, Jose Abreu, you did it. What a story. What a story. A guy yeah. who, I know you know the history, and I know you know baseball better than, than anybody, but he, this guy, was lobbying to stay on this team. You know, when in a contract dispute, you know, normally there's two sides being like, I don't know, we're, a lot of teams want me. And they're like, well, we can only afford so much. You know, here the Sox are like, we're not sure. And Abreu's like, I will do anything. I mm -hmm. want to be in this organization. I want to win here. Um, this is a guy who, you know, his story of even just getting to the USA to be able to play for the White Sox. I mean, he, have you ever heard his story? Uh, I, I, I have remember. not. So, yeah, by all means, enlighten me. And I, I certainly don't want to uh, be incorrect. So I, I'd encourage anyone who wants to know the real story to look it up. But, I mean, he had to, like, arrived secretly you know like like in packaging like he had to he had to be transported to the u.s to get away i mean this is someone who fought tooth and nail to be here um and then became an outlet became a, 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 first of all 
made the White Sox a destination for international signees. I mean, the fact that now you're getting to watch, you know, your favorite player uh, play here and do well. When it comes to these international signings that that have made the White Sox so successful, it's no secret that Abreu is a big piece of that. And now he's the elder statesman and you bring him back in kind of that honorary role of like be that guy. And to just show that no way I am the MVP. I'm the best player in this league right now. And this is a guy who has consistently put up great numbers and been a class act and a much better fielder than people give him credit for. It's, I think he's a pretty good ball player overall, but offensively. And now for the first time he's got people around him who can hit and can run and protect him in a lineup. And again, in a sprint season like this, you know, that's where a guy like Abreu is just, okay, I'm just going to do what I do every day. I'm going to, I'm going to drive in a run tomorrow. I'm going to drive in a run the next day. I'm going to have one a game. That's basically, that's just, that's me, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's so fun to watch um, and really exciting as a fan. Yeah. So uh, my first question to you about Abreu then is, is he the unanimous MVP if the White Sox play the Cubs more than six games? <laughs> holy shit oh that oh, wow. that hurt that that man, that series was just unreal like that that is gary bonds in his steroid prime that series the way he went off on cub pitching I mean, it was so much fun to watch like that last i want to say there was a and i'm not always i think there was a late three-run homer at the end of that uh at the, the, the last game and that was just like jaw-dropping it was just mm-hmm. like again <laughs> he had three more RBI in him versus this team. Yeah, uh, this is this is numbers you put up when you're playing a division rival 19 times, mm-hmm. not the Cubs. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Five. And and uh, the, the image I will take with me from that series is from the Sunday game where he homered off you Darvish, I think in the first or second inning, and Darvish otherwise was dominant. But the expression on you's face was just <laughs> okay. Fuck this. I I yes. give up. That uh, was, was a with, fantastic game. Yeah, this is a man with 15 pitches who said, I don't know which one of these can get you out at that point. So, yeah, that was just astonishing. So, I mean, clearly that was the high point of his regular season. But it, it's it's uh, fascinating to kind of see, like, his year-by-year stats I looked up this morning. And this this is obviously his best best year, and it's in short season. But it's not – a complete outlier statistic wise by any means that uh, right. it's, his this isn't Brady was, Anderson hitting 50. This right. is, so, yeah, there, there, there are no obvious reasons for why, why it <laughs> stood out like Brady Anderson's 96, um, but his pattern was after the really good three or four years, then the last two leading into this were kind of good, but not great. The kind that make you think, okay, he, he's 33. So it might be a little bit of a decline phase. And then just, explode again like on the scene like this like this is not just an mvp year but this is him like almost re-announcing his presence to the rest of baseball and just kind of pulling the i am not done card well and last year too i mean while it wasn't as good of a season overall he still had 123 rbi he still led the league in that category the thing is this is a guy who if people are on base around him he's just consistently going to make contact he's consistently going to bring him home and he does it in the right spots you know and that's the fun thing about him like last year he got a little bit trashed uh, on social media for uh hitting some home runs when it didn't matter they'd lose games 11 to 3 with an Abreu three-run homer mm-hmm. um but which is fine you're going to have that yeah, on a bad team can't help that <laughs> That's... Right. And in a 123 RBI season, 
it's going to happen at you know at times where it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, he's not the problem. Yeah, I love when people like blame someone. Well, he's not hitting him at the right time. Well, he's he's not the problem. Yeah, <laughs> let me let me make that clear. The AL RBI leader is not the reason this team isn't good. Yeah. You know, well, so well, this year was a nice science world for the past three years. <laughs> exactly. So this year it was nice for with a team around him for him to just show that consistency of you know the same thing that he's always done. I'm just gonna I'm I'm just going to continue hitting. But again, I think I think you're right. I think it really is a resurgence. It's a reemergence. It's it's showing who he is. Um, I also think that when you start to get to your 30s, a 33 year old like that you know, the shorter season is going to help him more than it's going to help a lot of other people. That sprint is a lot better for a Jose Abreu than it is for a Luis Robert. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, Robert obviously is the opposite. He needs every at bat right now and starts to needs to learn how to, uh, how to hit the adjustments they're going to make to him. Right. Abreu is like, Oh, I've got people around me now. So you have to throw me pitches. Awesome. I mean, he hit 123, uh, had 123 RBIs and 33 home runs last year you know, for a team that wasn't very good and there wasn't as much around him. And you look at, they were like the bottom of, I mean, that was one of the fun things to watch all year. uh, Just the differential. uh, When you look at how low they were on the team home run totals in 2019 and then just through the roof in 2020. And you look at all that around him and it's like, Oh, this guy could have been putting up this type of numbers if he was on a better team. You know, if if he had more protection around him, he could have been doing more of this the whole time. That, that's the thing about that complaint about uh, he only hits home runs when they don't count. And, and when you're in a bad year like like the past few years and you're not surrounded by much in, in terms of hitting competence, that, yeah, sometimes you're going to have a lot more games where you're just kind of getting waxed and your home runs aren't going to mean as much. But when you're surrounded by the really great lineup that they had this year, by virtue of having power up and down, the team is going to be in just about every game. So if you just kind of keep up that home run production, just by sheer happenstance, they are going Absolutely. to come at important times now. Exactly. Exactly. And the fact like more, more games are important, more times yeah. are important. So exactly what you're saying. Um, one of the things I really do like, though, um, is that they did resign him and they resigned him to a three year deal, which meant a lot to me because this was a guy who said, I'm, I'm going to come in and do anything I want to to stay on this team or anything I can to stay on this team. And again, there was a lot of back and forth. People didn't know if it was going to happen for them to really invest in him and spend 50 million on him over three years, you know, for him to just come through and start delivering immediately felt great. I mean, those are the stories you love about baseball. And those are the stories you love about a young, exciting team like this, you know, in 05, when, when the White Sox won the series, um, you know, Frank Thomas was older. Um, He was injured during the playoffs, obviously, unfortunately, he he wasn't able to be part of it, but like, it's, it's cool to see that um, that aging superstar, Still, you know, early in the season, Frank was still contributing. And then obviously Frank had a couple of really good years in Oakland afterwards. I mean, but it's the same type of thing where it's not going to be as consistent. You know, you're not always going to get, they're not going to be as healthy all the time. Like things start to break down on you, nagging injuries hurt more, different things happen. But when you see like, like a, a proven veteran kind of show these young kids what they what can be done and those, like it, it makes everyone younger. It yeah. makes everyone healthier. It makes everyone better. And I think that his presence is really the, you know, the most important thing on this team this season. And I'm so thrilled that all of Major League Baseball agrees. 
Yeah. And, and Chicago baseball and both sides of town is, is littered with just great players, veteran players who never got to be around for that reward when teams took the next step. Like, I mean, just narrow down from the Sox, going back from Carlton Fisk to Yaparicio sure. to Nellie Fox, all the way to like Luke Appling, for God's sake. And that, that's, yeah. that's nothing but Hall of Famers and team legends who got, you know, maybe a postseason appearance or two at most. Uh, so that Abreu is signing this deal to stick around for three years and the team is taking that next step as he felt that they would when he signed it and he's putting up his best personal numbers ever like that's the best of every single world coming together at once and yeah I, I certainly hope for the, next, the coming couple of years that you can say the same regardless of what we've talked about for the past half hour <laughs> exactly and this is and this is the problem with that and then this is why it's so frustrating on the other side and I don't want to just keep beating that dead horse but right. like because this is what's happening on, on the south side of Chicago right now and you know look at us Sox fans we finally get national media attention and now we're mad about it <laughs> <laughs> oh, you wanted that north side plot Jim <laughs> oh man how happy are you guys that it's like it's a it's a hated cardinal too oh man this is <laughs> Uh, I mean, honestly, we, we've got our own issues that, uh, with, especially with ownership at this point. So, Fair. absolutely. Uh, uh, but to end on, I guess, the most upbeat note possible, have you seen the video clip of Abreu finding out that he won MVP yet? I have not yet. Uh, once we Is hang up, go to Twitter and check it out. Because okay. uh, it's about a minute and a half of just solid emotion of him and his family. And just getting to see it all sink in and what it means, and you're, you're seeing a man not afraid to show that, that crying tears of joy, uh, while at the same time still hanging on to the chin man bun. <laughs> Look, he, uh, he, he's here for his baseball, not his fashion statements. You know? <laughs> that, is, uh, that chin man bun is fantastic. I can't wait to watch that. And that's one of the most fun things about it, about the sport, when you talk about about baseball and, and, you know, there are some weird things in the way they do the rewards and all of that and dragging it out as long as possible into a day. But to really, the cool thing about it versus some sports that do like, here's our ceremony. Here's everyone who won an award. Like these guys each get a day, which is really cool. You mm -hmm. know, Freddie Freeman and Jose Abreu are the talk of the town today. And it's not just lost because there's 15 different awards coming out at the same time. Mm -hmm. I really do like that. And, and, and um, yeah, man, he's the, you know, he's the elder statesman on a really fun young team. And yeah, just, I mean, think about that locker room and these kids and, and uh, so many Cuban born players who, again, it, some of these kids are, you know, 10, 12 years younger than him. They, they, he was their favorite player, right? They looked up yeah. to him and now they're on the same team as him. Um, but just think about how much fun they're going to have with him as their grandpa in the locker room <laughs> for the next couple of years, just, you know, making fun of him and, 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 but just being such an incredible contributor on, uh, on this team. And, and also just being a great way to show these guys uh, how much Chicago loves these athletes and, 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 and what they can become here and uh, just really show them, you know, what a bond that this team has with, with their fans in the city. And, and it's really cool to, to see someone get those accolades uh, at this point in his career. It absolutely is. Uh, Jim, do you I also, oh, go, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, real quick before we do anything else. I do want, I, I feel like I'm talking about 33, like it's very old and it certainly isn't, it's younger than me. I believe it's younger than you. Um, but, yeah. um, but I mean, in baseball years and, you know, and certainly, 
um, it, when you start to see, like you said, a little bit of that decline, like you never know. And, but to have, a, like you said, a bit of a resurgence, really bring yourself to national prominence for the first time, but also not by your numbers being so drastically different than, you know, nothing really changed other than the fact that he had more people on base and more protection around him. And it's just like, oh yeah, this guy really is that good. Yeah. That he's been that good this entire time. And now everybody gets to notice and yeah, every, every great player should have moments like that. Cause that's, it's a satisfying thing. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Well, I still got you here. Uh, not really. That's the fun thing about doing these <laughs> during the pandemic. I will be, uh, I'll be home baby. this weekend. Exactly. <laughs> um, make sure you read my friend Ken on baseball prospectus. Uh, first of all, you fantastic. And uh, I enjoy seeing your work there. Um, you can find me on social media. I'm at Jimmy Flan on a lot of things. My name is Jim Flanagan. I do have a couple of podcasts. One's called All Over the Place with Pat McGann. And one is uh, What Do We Know with Harry and Jim. I said not really and unplugged everything of mine, Ken. I'm sorry. <laughs> so my answer was yes. <laughs> That's why I asked the question. That uh, No matter how long it takes, I'm happy to give you the space. So, uh, Jim Flanagan, you, sir, are a Hall of Famer baseball friend. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> Too, buddy. Take care.